Amen? Amen. Well, this week, we are starting a brand new series. Brand new series. It's called Be Rich. And I bet some of you, maybe if you got a text uh, last couple days, you heard the new series that was coming out, and you're like, Be Rich? Hmm. I don't, what, what does that mean? Well, that, that's, that's kind of bold, but you know, I'd, I'd kind of like to, to be rich too, you know, but huh, I wonder what this be rich thing is about. And one of the things we're really going to be talking about over the next several weeks is really being people of generosity, of being a people of generosity and, and just, just loving those around us. You know, it was generous last week when we served pulled pork and pulled chicken, right? Like people's eyes are like, wow. I mean, because like, isn't it true? Like when people are generous, like it opens doors, doesn't it? Like it gives opportunity for ministry. And that is one of the things about the Christian faith that we are known for is being generous people. And I'm thankful that we as a church are known for being a generous church. And, and even think about that. Like you can say all kinds of things you want about organized religion, right, or organized Christianity, right? But who else over the last centuries, who else has gone around the world to people that needed help and started orphanages and dug wells and started schools and started hospitals? Who, it was believers that did that. This is a part of who we are, that it's, it's God's, it's a reflection of God's image in us that because he so loved us that he gave. And so as we become like Christ, we develop this heart of generosity, of wanting to bless others. But, but there's, there's some components to it. And the component is, is that we have to think right before we can do right. And that we have to really, as the video said earlier, we really have to address our thinking. Because unless we address the way we think, it'll never impact our behavior. Isn't that true? I mean, you always, your thoughts always go before actions, even where you're going to go. You're going to walk through the door, you're going to drive home. First, you go there in your mind, and then your behavior follows. And so it's, it's, it's that way in every area of our life. And so it has to be in this way first, too, that we have to think right. Proverbs 23, 7 says this. It says, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. So, he is. so thinking dominates our behaviors. As, we, as our thoughts go, so our actions go. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, right? But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let your mind be renewed. Let your mind be changed. Let your mind be impacted. N- not the way this world is. Like, our world's crazy, right? Can I, I know I can get an amen on that one, right? Like, crazy world, right? It's crazy. But, but that's not our pattern. We allow our mind to be transformed by the renewing. That's what we're doing this morning. Our minds are being renewed. We're getting the Word of God. Our minds are renewed. So we think right, so then we will live right. So Paul, Apostle Paul wrote a letter. Uh, he wrote lots of letters. Some of his letters were addressed to churches, ch- church at Ephesus, the, churches at, the church at Corinth, the church at Colossae. And so there were just general letters that were directed to churches. And then he wrote letters that were directed to leaders, uh, Titus, Timothy, Philemon. So he had these, had these other letters. And so in, in Paul's letter, his first letter to Timothy, he, he gives this pastor instructions of, of how to lead his church, how to minister, how to pastor the people that God has put in his life. And so this is, this is what this is what Paul tells him, and I, and I love the first word, okay? The first word is, hey, Timothy, command. Command the people. Command these people in your church. And I've thought about that, right? Here is Paul telling, a Tim, telling Timothy, a pastor, to command his people to do certain things. Like, okay, so how do you think it would go tomorrow at work if, if so, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I oh, went to church. Oh, what, what, what happened? Oh, our pastor commanded us. 
Like, seriously, like, what would the responses be if you're telling people that your pastor commanded you, like, to do stuff, right? They'd be like, are you in a cult? Like, what's, what's, because this is not like our, this is not our way of thinking. You don't tell me what to do about God. You don't tell, nobody tell me what to do, right? You just tell me what to do, then I'll do the opposite, right? Like, that's the Ozark way, right? Yeah, yeah. But he's here, he tells his people, he commands his people. So as a pastor, I'm like, interesting. I didn't know I could command people. Yeah. Here we go. Okay, so he says, command those who are rich. So obviously Timothy had some people in his church that were rich, okay? So he's supposed to command those command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. See, that's that that's that wrong thinking that we're addressing. This is going to be this this passage passage is going to be our main text for the next several weeks. So not to be arrogant, not to think not to think in that way, nor put their hope in wealth. And so so it's, what we're going to talk about this morning is where our thoughts go, how we think about wealth, and where we put our hope and where we put our trust, okay? That's where we're going. Because, because wealth is so uncertain, but we're to put our hope in God who richly provides us with everything. He provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, God doesn't, God's like, he's not wanting you to to not enjoy life. He's not wanting you to not enjoy things. Like He gives us things. He wants us to be able to enjoy that. So, so it's not where I'm headed with that, that we can't enjoy things. He has given us things to enjoy, but we're not to put our hope in them, and then we're not to be arrogant about our wealth. But he says, then command them. See, he gets to do it twice, right? He gets to command them twice. Command them to do good and to be rich. Okay, that's where we get the series title, to be rich. Command them to do good, be rich, we're not just talking about money here. Like, this is bigger than money. Be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Because we're rich, we need to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So it makes a difference for all eternity so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. In other words, that we really understand these principles that Paul is telling Timothy about, we can really live life to the fullest. We can really make a difference when we get a grasp, we get an understanding about this. So you might say, Jay, why are we taught, why do we have a whole series on being rich? Why do we have a whole series on on teaching rich people to be rich? Why are we doing this? Well, this is why we're doing this, is because rich people don't do it very well. That's why we're doing it, because rich people don't do rich very well. You want to know how I know this? Statistically, statistically, Americans, the more money that we as Americans make, the less we give percentage-wise. Did you know that? Like, that's opposite to what you would think. You would think that if you have less, you'd give less, and if you have more money, you'd give more money, right? You'd be more generous. But actually, statistics is, is actually the opposite of that. So the question has to be, why? Why is that? Well, it's because of wrong thinking. It's because, of, it's because of wrong thing. And there's, so here's, I'm going to give you guys just real quick this morning three reasons why rich people are not good at being rich. Anybody interested in this? Why rich people are not good at being rich. You're thinking, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm not, I'm not rich anyway, so you can talk about it all, all you want. But hang, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. First of all, rich people don't like to admit they're rich. Rich. So if I did, if I, if I asked for a show of hands, raise your hand if you're rich this morning, Right? How many? Oh, we got a couple. Okay. A couple people are proud of it. All right. It's good. Yeah. I'm rich. Yeah. But if I say, how many of you guys are tall? Yeah. Okay. I'm tall. Yeah. How many of you are good at athletics? Yeah. I'm good at athletics. 
How many of you are Broncos fans? I get a whole bunch of people. I know we're in Missouri, but in this church, I get a whole bunch of people. I'd raise your hand being Bronco fans. You'd be, you'd be proud of it. But, but when you're rich, it, it, it's not like that. Do you know? But, but maybe it should be. I mean, maybe we, maybe we don't really understand because Gallup did a poll. Okay, Gallup did a poll, and they asked, in this poll, they asked, how much money would you have to make for combined household income a year to, be, to consider yourself rich? How much, think about it a minute. How, how, how much would it be? The number one answer in America was $150,000. Some of you are like, yep, that's right. If I make $150,000 a year, I'd be rich. Others of you, you maybe you make that, you're like, no, no, that's, that's not really. That's not, uh, there might be other people that, uh, that, that may have a household income of $150,000. But I, I, I'm not rich. I, I know the bills. I know the commitments. I, I, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not rich. Well, so then they asked people who made about 31 to 35, right around the low 30, about 35,000 a year, combined total family income. They asked them, how much, how much would you have to make in a year to be rich? How much you, you know what their answer was? It was $75,000. If, if we made $75,000 a year, man, we would have it made. We'd be rich. And if you're here, if your family makes about $75,000 a year, you might be saying, uh, they're going to be disappointed, right? It's, it, it, it's not... It's not what you what you what you think it is, right? So then they asked the subscribers of Money Magazine. Now I don't subscribe to Money Magazine, but I can only assume that the people that subscribe to Money Magazine actually have the money to subscribe to Money Magazine and care a lot about money. Therefore, they're spending money to read about money. I think safe, safe assumption. Okay. So the readers, the subscribers of Money Magazine, said, "Ready for this? How much? What would it take for you to be liquid?" You know, assets or just, just total assets, what would it take for you to be rich? And they said, $5 million. And we're like, yep, we're all like, yep. It'd be like, yeah, it's stinking rich, right? $5 million. But you know what? I bet if you ask somebody that had a worth of $5 million, if they're rich, I don't know, but I got a feeling they wouldn't say that. They'd, be, they'd come up with another amount of money. Another amount. So this is the bottom line. This is the bottom line. This is what I arrived at. Nobody is rich, but everybody knows somebody who is. There you go. That's the bottom line. No, not, nobody's rich, but everybody knows somebody that is. So, in being rich, the first thing you actually have to do is admit that you're rich. Do you know that if you, if your family, if you have a combined household income of about $44,000 a year, did you know that you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world? Hmm. Top 1% wage earners, combined household income of $44,000. That was the response I thought I would get. Yeah. No, none of you are like, praise the Lord, I'm rich. I came to church depressed today, but my pastor told me I'm rich, and oh, I'm just so happy now. Everything's one. I'm rich. Hey, honey, do you know we're rich? I mean, we're rich. Yeah, I didn't get that response. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, did, I, didn't, I, did, I didn't think I would. You know, even if you don't, if your family doesn't make 44000 a year, but if you have running water, I mean, I'm just, getting, I'm just being honest, right? If you have running water, like you're better off than most of the world. And if you don't have running water, like we will help you. Like, I'm serious. Like, if you live around here, you should be able to have, if you can't, we will help you have running water, right? And so, I mean, and we're not even thinking about how to transport our water, right? Because it comes right to our house. We have multiple spigots in our house, right? We, we have so much water, we throw it, we spray it on our lawns, right? 
We wash our cars with it. Like, we don't, we just, we're so blessed. Would you guys agree we are just so blessed? Yeah. I mean, you guys, you guys, would you guys say that we're rich? Yeah, you see, you're not as, yeah, you know, it's okay to say blessed, like that's like a, that's a spiritual church word, but rich, you're like, eh, I don't know, I don't know about that. We are friends. And that's one of the first things we have to be able to do is have to be able to, to admit, admit that, admit that. So here, I'm going to, let's pull some Bible in on this. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. You say, yeah, but that verse actually doesn't have anything to do about money. You could say it, but you know, actually, like it does. Actually, the context of that is money. Because what was going on is there were some believers that were in great need. Okay, and so there was a church. It's the earlier part of the chapter. There's another church, and the, the people in this church were really hurting financially. Like they were really poor. They were really destitute, okay? And they gave out of their need. Like they gave when it hurt. And they blessed this other church. And, and Paul is, is, is commending them on their generosity. And then he calls the Corinthian church on the carpet. He said, man, these guys, man, these guys, they just, they were so generous and they didn't even have it. And you guys are rich. You guys are rich. What are, what are you guys, what are you guys going to do? He said, he's, he's even saying that God took curse of of poverty, God took this, and, and, and he's blessed you. Now, I know it's relative, right? Like, I know it's relative to culture and context and all of those things. But if we can get a big picture, we will see that God has so blessed us. Why? Why have we been blessed? 2 Corinthians 9-11 says, You will be made rich in every way. Why? So that you can be generous on every occasion. See, Paul could have written this letter to the American church. Like, he could have written this to Grace Church. He could have said this to us. He could have said, he could, he could have said, he could have said, out of your blessing, that you could bless others, that you could be a blessing to the nations. And so first thing about thinking right is that when you're blessed, you, you acknowledge it, like you own up to you, really, yeah, I'm blessed. By the standards of this, of the, the whole world, I had the big picture, I'm rich. And so, so if that's true, why, why, are, why are rich people not good at being rich? Well, the second reason is because rich people are often plagued with discontentment. Put that in your notes, discontentment. See, the more stuff a person has, the more stuff a person wants. Statistically, it's true. The more you have, the more you want. And so you have these appetites and desires, and you think if you buy this, that it'll satisfy that, and it does for just a little bit, but then you want more, and you just keep wanting more and more, and it's and, and, and so as you get more and more and more, you can become more and more discontent. So one of the things I love about missions trips, right? One of the things I love about missions trips is you can go and you see these kids. And, I mean, if they have a little bit of food in their belly and, and they got a place to sleep at night. And, I mean, they don't even have to have much clothes, right? Like, that's, not, that's, that's optional. But if they got some food and some shelter. I mean, these are happy, happy kids, right? Because happiness is not based upon possessions. In fact, it almost can be opposite, that the more you have, sometimes the more discontent you can be. Now, it doesn't mean you can't enjoy things. We know that God gave us all these things for enjoyment. We're talking about the condition of our heart here. And so, and so that's why, this is why you can work really, really hard. You can spend lots of money. You can go into debt on Christmas, and then you give the gifts to your kids and your grandkids, and then they play with the stinking box, Right? You know what I'm talking about? Like you sacrificed, you gave, and then they play with the box. 
Don't they know how hard I worked for this? Right? And so it, there, can, there, can, there can be discontentment. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 10 through 12. Those who love money, okay, that's the key word there. That's the key, those who love money, it's not saying those who have money, but those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. That's, that's true. And how did, how did King Solomon know there'd be QVC and telemarketers that, that long ago? Seriously, right? But isn't that true? The more, you have, the more people want to help you spend it. Yeah. So what good is wealth except to watch it slip through your fingers? People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. This is an observation the, the, they were ha- they're having here in the in Psalms. And why is that? It's because anxiety levels are high. There's more to ensure. There's more to protect. There's more to maintain. There's more to keep up with. There's just more, 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 more. You know, rich people, let's talk about rich people for a little bit. Rich people are funny. Do you know that? Because there's a spirit of discontentment. You know what rich people do? Maybe you've, maybe you've known a rich person that's, that's done that. You know what a rich person will do? A rich person will drive a car that's, that's working, drive a car that's working into a car lot, right? They'll leave the car there, then they'll pay the owners of the car lot money to drive home a car that is the same thing that the one they brought does. You ever thought about that? See, rich people have this word called upgrade. You know, upgrade something. Okay, maybe, maybe you've never known anybody that's ever done that. Okay, have you ever known a rich, you ever known rich people? This is what rich people do. Rich people will have a kitchen, have countertops and cabinets and refrigerator, stove, microwave, sink, dishwasher. You know what rich people do? Rich people will take it all out. You know what they put in place? Countertops, cabinets, microwave, refrigerator, stove, sink. You know what rich people do? Rich people will go to the Verizon, AT&T, go to the cell phone company store, right, to get the new iPhone, right, get the new Galaxy, and text and tweet and Facebook about the new phone they're getting on the phone they already have. That's what rich people do. Hey, maybe, I know you guys aren't like this, but, but maybe, maybe you've heard of rich people that have so many clothes, right, that they have their own room for the clothes. It's called a closet. Maybe you know rich people like this have a closet full of clothes. I mean, isn't that amazing? You'd be so rich, you'd have a whole room just for clothes. That many clothes. Isn't that amazing? But you know what I've heard about these rich people? Like they'll stand at the door, they'll stand in their closet, and you know what they say? I have nothing to wear. Isn't that weird? All right. Number three, if we're not careful, rich people can live with a false sense of security. False sense of security. That you could save your way to safety. There's a term called financially secure. You can save enough money that you could keep bad things from happening. Proverbs 18.11 says, The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. In other words, if I can build this wall high, and if I can get enough, if I can accumulate enough, if I can save enough, if I can have enough, then whatever calamity, whatever bad is out there cannot get to me. 
if I just raise these walls, just raise all of this high enough. And it says here, it says, they imagine. See, they imagine. That's that wrong thinking. They imagine it a wall too high to scale, that nothing could get to them. So I have a question for you. If you were going to save your way to safety, if you think of every possible scenario that could happen to you and your family, how much money would you have to save to where that couldn't get to you, where you'd be protected from that? I mean, think of it. Don't, don't answer out. Just, just think about that. How much would it take? I think I know the answer, right? More than you have now, right? Yeah, that's the answer. More than what you currently have, which can lead to us holding on and just trying to hold on to everything that we can. And we should have savings account. Like, seriously, like the Bible talks about that. We'll talk about that next few. It's good to save. I mean, the Bible talks about uh, being, uh, being blessed and being able to leave an inheritance for your kids and for your grandkids. Like, like it, it's, uh, but it's, it's where's your heart? Where's your trust? See, that's the issue. Where's your hope and where's your trust? Where are you placing your, your confidence? Where are you placing that? Because if we don't think right, th- then we won't live right. Now, this is where, this is where a lot of people think that, that, that or would expect me to really go like negative, like really guilt. So this means you need to sell everything and give everything you have to the poor, right? No, that's not what I'm saying. Because you know guilt, like how long does guilt motivate you, right? Like not very long. Like guilt is not a great motivator. So I'm not here to guilt anybody, but you know what I want to cultivate? I want to cultivate, cultivate an attitude, an atmosphere of gratefulness. Because if we can have hearts of gratefulness, then that changes everything. Gratefulness changes everything. Because you see, like you and I, we could have been born anywhere, right? Like we could, like, oh my. Like we are so blessed. I just think about my own life. And I think about the family that God's given me. And I think about this wonderful church that I get to pastor. And I think about all of you who are in my life. And I just, it's so humbling. It's, I'm so grateful for all that God has done. And, and I'm, I'm sure that, that you feel that way, that you're just so grateful of all that God has done. And so when we begin to, to think right, then we begin to live right, that first of all, the number one way we have to think is that I will be grateful. I'll be grateful. And it's a choice, but it comes out of us understanding what God has done for us. Uh, when they were dedicating the temple to the Lord of the Old Testament, like David, King David gave, all the people gave. They just gave to the Lord because they wanted a beautiful house for the Lord and for God to do, an ama- God to do amazing things in their nation. And so, and so here it says, 1 Chronicles 29, 10-13, it says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. So they're in church and they're, they're praising the Lord. And he's saying, praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatest in the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours underline that in your notes underline that in your bible everything on heaven and in earth is yours so we have an understanding of that that it's his that it's all his that changes our that changes our attitude we become grateful people yours lord is the kingdom you are exalted as head over all wealth and honor come from you that it doesn't come from me that anything that I have it's not because I worked hard right because if he wouldn't have given me health and strength I couldn't have worked hard it's not because I'm smart it's not because because any education opportunities any of us have had any the ability to even think that's all a gift from God do you see where I'm going with this like when we start living a life like we deserve stuff like I'm telling you that is a dead end how many okay 
How, how, how well does it go for your kids when they live life like they deserve stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> but when they're grateful, it's, oh, wow, they're just so grateful. Yeah, that's, you guys, okay, you're getting it. You are the ruler of, the, of, of all things, and your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks. We're grateful people, Lord. We give you thanks and praise your glorious name. This next part isn't on the slide, but, but verses 14 and 15 says, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give this generously? You know, last week I announced that over the last 12 months we've given over $100,000 to missions as a church. Like over 25% of our budget has gone to missions, has gone to reaching people around the world. Like, seriously? Like, we're not that size of a church to be able to do that. But that's the kind of God that we, we just, He's just generous. And you guys are generous people, and we're just, just this flow is going out from us, that everything comes from you. You see, we understand that everything comes from Him, and we have given only what comes from your hand, that everything comes from the hand of God, that now this gratitude makes us generous. It makes us more generous. We, we want to give. You know, we don't have to give. Right? Like We want to give. We want to give. So what do we do about this discontentment thing? Like, what do we do? Because we can have this angst, right, of, of, of wanting things, of desiring things, right? I was talking to a friend uh, the other day about this sermon. We were talking about this, and we are talking about driving little Toyotas, because he used to drive a little Toyota, and I used to drive a little, and now I drive a, I drive a little Toyota. I'm grateful. Hallelujah. I'm grateful for my little Toyota. In faith, I'm, I'm thank God. No, I, I am. I'm thankful for that car. It's great. We were talking about that. He was talking about how he wasn't being grateful for his little Toyota, and it's pouring down, and it was just, it's hard to see, and it just, he wanted to be in, his, in a big truck like he used to have, and then somebody drove by in a moped in the rain. Yeah, yeah, and like, he was like, okay, Lord, I get it, I get it, I'm grateful, I'm grateful, I'm grateful. So how do we do that, how do we, this grateful, how does it happen? Well, it has to lead, I lead with generosity, I lead with generosity, that's how it happens. That's how this discontentment thing gets dealt with, is I lead with generosity. Before I spend, I give. Okay, that's God's solution to this. It's okay to have stuff. Like, don't, it's okay to, to, to trade your car in. It's okay to remodel kitchens. Like, we've done all those things. Those are things are fine. God wants you to enjoy life. Why do you think this world is so beautiful, right? God, God, he made it for our pleasure, right? He, he did this for us. But it's okay to have stuff. We don't want stuff to have us. And one of the ways we can avoid stuff having us is putting God first. Like it's a paradox. Like God wants to give us all this stuff, but he doesn't want the stuff to, to have us. And so as he gives us stuff, he said, hey, give me back 10% of it. Give me the first. Give me the first. You'll be giving me your, your heart. You'll be following me. And the stuff won't, won't have you. And so, and so, he's, and so he's, that's one of the ways. It's like he's built this in to help us. Like stay in check to, to do that. And, it, and it's not a God tax, okay? I heard somebody say, I want to tithe. Maybe you don't know this, but, but we're instructed in Scripture that the first 10% goes to God. It's called the tithe. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. That 10% goes to the Lord. Malachi 3.10 says, bring your tithe, the 10%, all of it. Bring it first. Bring it to the storehouse. That's the Lord's house. So he says, so my house may be full so that ministry can happen so lives can be changed. And, and, and so that, that, that's the principle. But I've heard people say, well, that's your God tax. It's not a God tax. Like, you do not have to tithe. It's not based on your salvation. Just like you don't have to pray, right? You know that. You don't have to pray, right? But I'm telling you, if 
you pray, right, like life goes better when you pray, right? Do you have to read your Bible? No, you don't have to read your Bible. But if you read your Bible, man, I promise you, life's going to go better, right? You don't have to tithe. But I promise you, if you do, life will go better. I've never heard somebody regret tithing. Like, I've never heard somebody say, oh, I wish I would not have tithed. I wish I wouldn't have put God first in my finances. Hey, church, can I get all my money back over the last 10 years? I, I really, I, I wish I wouldn't have done that. No. It doesn't, because God blesses. He takes care of us. He does. Acts 20, 35. You're not likely to go wrong. Oh, I skipped Matthew 6, 21. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. So wherever you're investing resources, whatever goes first in your life, whatever you're giving towards, that's your heart follows. You know why we have such a heart for missions in this church? Because we're giving lots of money to missions. That's why. That's why we have a heart for missions. That's why you have a heart for missions, because you're giving money towards it. So where do you want your heart to be, right? Do you want your heart to be in your car? Do you want your heart to be in your house? Do you want your heart to be in your hobbies? Or do you want your heart to be set on the Lord? Yeah, so we, our heart follows our treasure. Acts 20, 35, you're not likely to go wrong here if you keep remembering, so we have to keep reminding ourselves, keep remembering that our master said, you're far happier giving than getting. And I think each of us have experienced pleasure with getting, right? Because it's good to get, oh man, thank you, that's awesome, I love this, and that's great. But man, when you are in a place where you can give, man, that is so much, that's so much more rewarding. And generosity, when, we, when generosity leads, our heart follows. All right, and finally, this is, this, is the, this is the big deal right here, is I will put my hope in God. I'll put my hope in God. And maybe when I've been talking this morning, you're like, be rich. Like, I'm not rich. I'm trying to pay my bills. I, I, trust me. I understand. I understand. But I, we need to have, we need to have like, our, some of our perspective like, aligned. We really need to think about how God thinks about, about our finances. Really understand that was people we really even if you're going through difficult times we're a blessed we're a blessed blessed people and if we'll have a heart of gratitude then it leads to generosity and when we're generous then our heart follows and we become a, a conduit of blessing from God and for God and then we begin to understand and we have to really grab a hold of that we put our hope in God that he is our resource right that he is our he's our rescue like he is he's the one that takes care of us Proverbs 30 8 through 9, it says, keep falsehood and lies. See, that's the wrong thinking that we started talking about at the very beginning. Keeping falsehood and lies, bad thinking, far from me. Keep, and then he says, he says, don't let me think like this. It's actually, give me neither poverty or riches. I mean, isn't that interesting? It's like, I really don't want either the really too far extremes here. But only give me what I need. I mean, that is, isn't that trust in the Lord? Most of us say, yeah, load me up, God. I'll be a blessing for you. Just, just load, yeah. He's saying, but this, the author here is saying, you know what? I just, these, these extremes are really dangerous. And, and if I have a ton, if I have a, just a ton, then, boy, there's a real temptation that I'm going to forsake God. There's a real temptation that I may disown him. And who's the Lord? Like, okay, I got this, God. When, when I need you, I'll let you know. It'll be my 9-11, God, right? When something, something bad happens, I'll, I'll call on you, right? Because he's like, there's a danger in that. There's also a danger if you're in great poverty that you'll be stealing, that you'll You'll dishonor the Lord because you're just trying to... He's like, Lord, I really... Those two, just, let me, just let me trust in you. Just let me walk with you. Let me just, let me just put my hope in you, Lord. Let me just put, put my hope in you. You know, 
maybe when you heard I was talking about money, maybe this, like inside of you, just like, like, oh no, maybe you're our guest here today, and you're like, oh great, here I am in a church, and they're talking about money. Churches and pastors are always talking about money. Well, that's, yes and no, I actually don't talk about money a lot around here. I probably should talk about a whole lot more, because you know, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven or hell, combined. Like, did you know that? That's how much he talks. And do you know why? Because he knew what the chief competitor of our soul is. I mean, like, it's not Satanism, right? Like, it's not, okay, Satan or God. Halloween or Christmas, right? Like, which one? That's that's not what our temptation is, right? Like, our temptation is stuff, right? It's money. It will try to take our heart. In fact, Jesus said, you can't serve God and money, right? He said, you can't serve. You have to pick. Are you going to serve God? Are you going to serve my, which, which is going to rule? What's going, going to help you make decisions? Where's your heart going to be? And so that's why Jesus talked about it so, so much. And we don't need to trust in the provision, but we need to trust in the provider. And at the end of the day, at the end of the age, when we, when we meet our maker, when we go to the Lord, like what's going to be on our mind? Like, what are we going to be thinking about? What's going to be perspective? How much we work, how, how hard we work, what we collected, what we had, the stuff we had. Are we going to be thinking about him, his agenda, and like people, right? I think if we could have this end of the life perspective, that what really matters in life is God, his kingdom, his agenda, and people, like, I wonder if that would change priorities in our life. I wonder if there'd be less debt. I wonder if there'd be less other stuff. If we'd be more content, right, with what we have. And so let's don't wait till the end, right? Because we know the answer now. Let's live life that way right now, right now. And this is the final, final thought. It's in your notes. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. Would you, would you, guys, just, would you guys say that with me? One, two, three. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. One more time. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides.